Well, good morning. And as the Holy Spirit is welcome here, so are each of you. And we're so glad that we are, have gathered together this morning to worship the Lord and to have fellowship with one another. All right, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you for this wonderful morning. How great and gracious you are towards us, your children. You love us, you care for us, you provide for us, you direct us with your eye and with your word. And for all those things, we are deeply grateful. And we are grateful, Lord, to be drawn together as part of your church, as a family here today. We ask your blessing upon us and your blessing especially upon Frank as he brings the word. Praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. This little light of mine, I'm going to make it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. You know, I know that wasn't in your bulletin, but that's all right. <clears throat> you ever notice on a clock there's hands? And I'm going to tell you they're God's hands. All right? God controls the clock. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Many people are asking, where is history leading? A careful student of the Bible will see that God controls the clock of destiny. Amidst the world's confusion, God's omnipotent hand or hands moves, working out his unchanging plan and purpose. Now that we always see, not that we always see his hand at work, as the old English hymn writer William Cowper put it, God moves in mysterious ways his wonders perform. God is not absent. By his providence, he sustains us. And behind the scenes, he is working to bring his divine purpose. What is that purpose? Paul put it this way, that he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth. Someday Satan's rule will be ended and Christ will reign as Lord over all creation. Amen. Amen. Someday all the sin and rebellion of this corrupted universe will be destroyed and Christ's kingdom of righteousness and peace will rule forever. Don't be discouraged by what you see in the headlines every day. God is at work and someday Christ will rule. The hope for today Many will be surprised at the way it plays out. God's people will not. We know that this world and everything in it will pass away. Let's live in a way that lets Christ know that we are expecting him. Yeah.
morning's Old Testament reading is Psalm 119, the first, oct the first octet, one through eight. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity, they walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. Then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to tell the world that I'm a Christian. Yeah, let's do it.
You all thought she was going to leave you hanging, didn't you? <laughs> uh, that's the last. <laughs> Our New Testament reading today comes from Paul's letter to Philemon. It is chapter 1, verses 1 through 21. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. I am writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister, Aphia, and to our fellow soldier, Occupus, and to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort. My brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That's why I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because this is the right thing for you to do, but because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you to show kindness to my child on, on Cinemas. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. On Cinemas hasn't been much of use to you in the past, but he, now he is very useful to both of us. I am sending you back, him back to you, and with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I was in these chains for preaching the good news. And I would have helped, and he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help, help because, <coughs> excuse me, because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost on cinemas. It, you lost on sentiments for a little while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave, for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it, and I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Yes, my brother, please, please do this for me, for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter to you that you will do what I ask and even more.
you join me in the responsive reading? Hope beyond all hope. You promised descendants as numerous as the stars to old Abraham and barren Sarah. You promised light and salvation in the midst of darkness and despair and promise redemption to a world that will not listen. Gather us to yourself in tenderness. Open your ears to listen to your word and teach us to live faithfully as people confident of the fulfillment of your promises. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, creator of all, owner of all that is, you have chosen to share your some of these things that you have created with us. And Lord, we we thank you for that. But we and we thank you for the gift of your son and the forgiveness of our sins. But you call on us to give back too. You call on us to support spreading the word, teaching others, living as you would have us live. So we ask that you that you bless these gifts that are given today, that they may do as you wish. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Want to rise for the doxology? Well, we, uh, we live in a um, time of increasing darkness in America um, in so many different ways. And I know, you know, we're, we're all very aware of that. And, and, and people who aren't Christian are aware of it as well. I mean, it's not just us. It's, you know, everybody looks on the culture. It's just that we have different ideas about where, how, how, what the solution is. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, about Christ, the, you know, and this, this contrast that there is between light and darkness. And there's really three areas that, where we see this darkness encroaching upon, um, you know, our whole society. And one is in the thinking um, that there is, just to give you an example, um, Conservative speakers now going into the universities um, many times now are shouted down. They're not allowed into, they're not allowed to speak because uh, the young people don't want a different point of view. They, they, they've, you know, there's been a radical shift in the, in the universities and in the whole school system. There's been a radical shift that's taking place. And you know, we as Christians, we kind of look at it and we go, how on earth did that, 
How did we get here? Where, where, where did, you know, how did that happen? That all of a sudden, um, people are thinking completely differently than we were raised to think and the way that, you know, biblically that we think. And young people are not being trained to be godly members of society, to be good and virtuous people, but being just trained for a job. And the Judeo-Christian worldviews and attitudes are systematically and intentionally replaced with a secular worldview. And that's, you know, that's where we find ourselves. And I know you, you know, you feel the same way that I do about it. You're wondering, you know, how did this happen? What, what happened that this whole tectonic shift in our culture has taken place in the thinking? And Christ is absent from the public schools, and young people are growing up, and we, you know, the statistics are not good that young people are not in church, they're not, uh, they're not hearing the word of God. They're being content with uh, secular thinking. We also see a breakdown in, in, in uh, character of people. There's a breakdown of character and trust that we see all through the culture, don't we? Um, I, I remember, you know, when I was growing up, it was a small town, and, you know, if you, if you said you'd do something, and uh, you'd do it, you know. And now <laughs> we're a litigious society, and got to have contracts, and, and, uh, and it, it's, the lawyers are going to challenge whatever you do, and so on. It, it just the virtues that we grew up with are being abandoned. And the chief virtues now are tolerance and inclusivity and promiscuity and multiculturalism and things like that. And not only do most people today not possess godly character, they don't even recognize what it is. Um, there's not a common idea of what, uh, <clears throat> of what godly character is. In the lifestyles, uh, there's an epidemic of sexual immorality among the youth. And we all see that. Um, and Froud, who is a British historian, said this, the whole of history is a demonstration of the moral law in action. And he said this, it is a demonstrable fact of history that moral degeneration and national collapse go hand in hand. And, you know, I've, I've seen this, I don't have examples right now that I, you know, to share with you, but we, we see that when a culture, when a country, uh, when the morality begins to break down, that national collapse follows in the wake of that. And that's where we are. We're, we're a culture in decay, and we are, a, we are a nation which, unless something happens, is going to uh, unravel. Uh, George Bernard Shaw said, um, no nation has ever outlived the loss of its gods, okay? Um, you know, whatever the gods that is. All history is the practical demonstration that there is a God. And we see now, um, you know, things that... <laughs> when I was growing up and, when, you know, when I first became a Christian, I thought, well, you know, maybe someday we'll get to that place where some of these things take place, um, but I am 
absolutely amazed how quickly the changes happen. Um, just to give you an, uh, an illustration, uh, now boys and girls locker rooms and uh, gender dysphobia and all that. Um, and this, uh, the next slide here, is um, this fella, <laughs> Leah Thomas, and he, he, she swam for the Uni U uh, University of Pennsylvania. I think you've heard about this. And won the national NCAA championship in the women's 500-yard freestyle. He became a transition to a woman. And so it's creating all kinds of problems in university sports because you have males, you know, males who, who uh, are male in physique um, competing in women's sports, and this is just one example. There's lots of them that we see all the time. Um, but he won the NCAA championship, the women's 500-yard freestyle. He was 60, 65th on the women's team, but transitioned to a female in his senior year and was number one on the women's team. And so we've, you know, it creates all kinds of problems, and we're seeing all kinds of problems unravel um, in our generation. And we cannot understand what's going on today without an understanding of the tremendous war that there is between light and darkness. And we are, you know, we are, <clears throat> a lot of times I feel like we're, we're shouting into the wind and the intensity of that wind is increasing. And <clears throat> sometimes you feel like we're just shouting to ourselves, but, but, uh, <clears throat> but, we believe that Christ is the light of the world and that where the light shines, the darkness will dispel. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. The intensity of the war is getting stronger exponentially in these days. Satan is un being unleashed and he is, he's backed into a corner and he's fighting mad. And so that's where we see ourselves in our culture today. Well, into the midst of that, then comes the light of the, God's word. John chapter 1. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, and so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light was light to every man who was coming into the world, he was in the world, and the world through the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Okay, um, so we, Christ is the light. In the midst of all this darkness that we see, there is light. 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. And if we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. His son purifies us from all sin. So we have the light of life dwelling within us. When we become Christians, we, we, um, we are filled with light. I don't know about you, but when I became a Christian, I had just this incredible sensation of just the light shining in me. Did you, did you have that? 
um, that I, I felt the darkness leave and I felt the light enter into me. That's the light of Christ. That's who he is. He is the light. John 12, 46. I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So we as Christians have light and life dwelling within us. And light reveals darkness. And, but you ask the question, how is Christ the light? Well, first of all, he is the light. John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to his people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So Christ dwells within us. But secondly, he created the world. And it's interesting that in Genesis chapter 1 that we talked about uh, oh, quite a while ago now, <laughs> that, uh, that, that Jesus, one of the first things that happened is that God spoke and there was light and light is separated from the darkness. And God's speaking ever since that time, God speaks light into darkness. That's just who he is. Second, thirdly, he shows us the way to go. If we follow him, we will walk in the light and keep from straying into the darkness. Um, in John 10, 27, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. Jesus gives us in eternal life because Jesus is the light. He is the light of life. And, and so Christ um, shines into darkness, and Christ, the life, says, if you follow me, I will lead you into light. So as, as his children then, the more that we follow Jesus, the more that that darkness dispels. All of us, you know, we have this, our sinful nature, and all of us have darkness within us. And Christ speaks into that darkness and, and uh, displays his light. His light uh, works within us to dispel the darkness, step by step. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. John 14.6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, Christ, the light then within us, um, broadcasts that light into our lives. And he gives us words to guide our way. Psalm 43, verse 3. Send forth your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to the place where you dwell. And then one of my favorites is Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And I, you know, I, I think of this verse often, that Christ, um, and Christ's word just shows us, a lot of times doesn't show us the whole path of where we're going. You know, it, it's, not like, it's not like the whole, you know, it's, it's, it's light out there. It's, it's, a lot of times his word is just, it shows us the next step we ought to take. And it's a, it's a light on the path. It's a light to guide us in the way. And we, we take that one step with God's word, not knowing where it's going to take us, exactly, and then he shines his light through another word. And so we follow Christ one step at a time, and he 
shines the light through his word so that we can walk the straight and narrow path. Psalm 119, verse 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So we get understanding, we get light, we, uh, uh, the shine on that path. Uh, Proverbs 4:18. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn, shining ever brighter till the full light of day. So we follow Christ by giving heed to the words of Scripture. Proverbs 6.23, for these commands are a lamp, this teaching is a light, and the corrections of discipline are the way to life. Proverbs 13.9, the light of the righteous shines brightly, but the lamp of the wicked is snuffed out. Okay, so, so what we're saying is, is we follow Christ, and Christ leads us step by step from darkness into light. Matthew 5.14, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So Christ is the light, and the good news is that as we follow Christ, then we are the light of the world. And we shine, we shine the light upon both the good things and the bad things, and the bad things are brought to light, and that's why people hate us sometimes. Because, because we shine, you know, Christ shines the light, his word shines upon um, people's wrong deeds. And they would just soon keep those things from the light. But Christ, but we become then, we become the light of Christ shining into the world. And when we shine, people are attracted to the light and therefore to the Father. Uh, Matthew 6.22, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Okay, so we can become darker if we do not follow Jesus Christ. Even as children of God, the light is within us and we are to let that light shine. Be bold in our witness and, and, ex, and, and explain to people and be bold in proclaiming the word of God because it is the light in the darkness. Ephesians 5. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. All right? You were once darkness. We were all in darkness. <clears throat> but now... We are light in the Lord. Okay, so it says, the light shines in the darkness, verse 5, but the darkness has not understood it. And so we see this darkness in our culture and in our own lives many times as God works through us. Uh, one of the things that we've, we've seen uh, more recently is so many mass shootings. There have been 410 mass shootings Mass shooting is more than four people shot at once, um, and either they died or they were wounded. So far, in 2022, 410. There have been 15 shootings with more than 10 people shot. Every day, listen to this statistic, every day more than 110 Americans are killed with guns and 200 are wounded every day in America. This is just in America. 
Now, we know the problem is not guns, it's the people that use the guns. Um, and so what we're seeing then is a breakdown of our culture. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. I mean, see if this doesn't fit our culture. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. So, so that's the day we live in. But into that comes Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. This is uh, interesting. Um, there, in 1904, there was the Welsh Revival. Have you, anybody of you read about the Welsh Revival? Okay. Um, and there was a fellow named Seth Joshua, and he prayed for years that God would send an ordinary young man who worked in the coal mines or the fields to lead a revival in Wales. Okay. Later, God would do just that. He chose a coal miner, Evan Roberts, to, and he sparked this revival. It started through him. Later, God, um, several months before the revival began, Reverend Joseph Jenkins of New Quay was praying earnestly that a change might come over the churches of the area. One Sunday morning in February 1904, he held a prayer meeting for young people in his church and asked them to share how they viewed God. One boy said, Jesus is the light of the world. To which Reverend Jenkins replied, yes, but what does he mean to you? 20-year-old Flory Evans rose to her feet and declared uh, in, in Welsh, um, translated as, I love the Lord Jesus Christ with all my heart. And instantly the Holy Spirit descended on the room. I've seen... Uh, I've seen, you know, videos of revivals, not this one, but I've seen other revivals, um, videos of them. It, it's just amazing. The Holy Spirit descended. It melted hardened hearts. The young people began weeping and declaring their love for Jesus. Slowly but surely, this brokenness spread to other places, okay? Now, here's the interesting thing, okay? In the wake of that, uh, people began, you know, there was just an intense revival that broke out. And here's what happened. The pubs were empty. Okay? <laughs> people didn't want to go to the pubs and drink. Young people would dance and sing praises to God in the streets. You know, you're just walking down the street, and young people are walking along, praising God and dancing in the streets. Crime decreased drastically. Magistrates often had no ca cases to hear. The police for forces formed barbershop quartets because they had nothing to do. <laughs> and I mean, this is, you know, this is, not, we're not making this up. I mean, this really happened. Forgiveness was rampant and broken relationships were reconciled. People repaid their debts. In the mines, the pit ponies could not understand what happened to the miners as they spoke to them more kindly. So there was disobedience among the horses because they didn't, they were so used to swearing that they couldn't, they couldn't understand what they were saying, what their owners were saying. Rugby came to a standstill as a former spectators. Everybody went into church instead of watching rugby. So, all right, now I'm not against rugby. That's, <laughs> that's, that's not what we're saying. But what we're saying is this. 
when Christ comes into a culture, when light shines in a culture, everything changes. And in revivals, it's not just that God's people change, but there are actually um, incredible changes that take place all through the culture. So what we're saying is this. What we need in America is Jesus. Okay? We don't need, you know, I mean, there are all kinds. Everybody's got uh, ideas about how we ought to, what we ought to do in America to stem this tide of immorality and all the stuff that we're seeing. But what we need is Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can bring healing to our nation. There's three sources of spiritual darkness. We see all three of these in Ephesians chapter 2. Beginning verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. This is before they were Christians. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. And the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. And so there's three areas that we see that darkness encroaches on our nation. And the first is the world. And the culture, the milieu of the, of the culture um, begins to be darker as there is a departure from Christ. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Ephesians 6, 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so what we see happening in America today is that systematically and intentionally there is a shift in our culture away from Christ to a secular worldview. And there are forces and there are people at work in our culture systematically and intentionally trying to move the culture away from Judeo-Christian values and worldview. And they're succeeding at it. That's the problem. So the first area of spiritual darkness is the world. It's our culture. It's what's going on among us. And so we're, you know, we're facing, as I said earlier, we're facing a headwind as Christians. Because what's happened is all of the, the secular forces have, have taken over the educational system and we have young people growing up in the, you know, th- all through school with a secular worldview. And they might be Christians and make a profession of, of faith in Christ, but their worldview and their emotions and everything is secularized. And that's why, that's why the churches now, are, you know, there's, there's a decreasing enrollment, decreasing attendance in churches, because the young people say, well, what, you know, that's just... We don't need to go there. Second part is our sinful nature or the flesh. Galatians 5, 16. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Okay, so there, our problem is this. We all have a sinful nature, And that sinful nature, if we 
obey those dictates of the sinful nature, it is going to bring spiritual darkness. It, and we, as children of God, we, are, we have Christ dwelling within us, and we can either follow that uh, spirit of God within us, or we can give in to the flesh. Galatians 5.19, so the acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So that's where our culture is going. Now, we as children of God, we have a choice. We could either choose that, or we can choose Christ. And both Christians and non-Christians have a sinful nature, okay? When, when, we become a, when we become a Christian, it's not that God just takes our sinful nature away from us, okay? Uh, we're still going to struggle with that. And William Barclay had a wonderful illustration of this, the, the, how the flesh or our sinful nature uh, works with the world and the culture that we live in. He says this, the essence of the flesh is this. No army can invade a country from the sea unless it can obtain a bridgehead. Temptation would be powerless to affect man unless there was something already in man to respond to temptation. All right, in other words, there's temptation, there's stuff that comes at us from the outside, but the problem is we have something on the inside that, that opens the door and says, come on in. Sin could gain no foothold in a man's mind and heart and soul and life, Unless, unless there was an enemy within the gates who was willing to open the door to sin. The flesh is exactly the bridgehead through which sin invades the human personality. The flesh is like the enemy within the gates who opens the way to the enemy who is pressing in through the gates. I love that illustration. The flesh is like the enemy within the gates, okay? And there's, you know, we can, we can keep the gates up, and there's all this stuff going on out there in the world that is darkness and increasing darkness, and we can keep that gate shut, but the problem is there's something within us. There's, there's this, this uh, uh, the flesh, our sinful nature that says, come on in. <laughs> you know? uh, we don't really like that, but we do. We know we shouldn't like it, but we do. There's something within us that responds to the darkness outside. And then, of course, the ultimate um, place is from the devil himself, who fell from heaven. Acts 26, 17. And this is Paul's testimony. And he says this, I will rescue, and this is what God told Paul when he became a Christian. He says, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. And then listen to this, verse 18 to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light. Okay? And then he says this, and from the power of Satan to God. Okay? So what we're seeing in our culture then is Satan himself is the masquerades as an, as an angel of light trying to, trying to destroy us. When people turn from Christ, they open themselves up to the influence of Satan himself. So what we're seeing in our culture then, this darkness, is Satan at work trying to destroy everything that there is. Luke 10, 17. Um, the 72 returned with joy, okay, 
Jesus sent out 72 disciples, and they came back and they said this, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. And here's the good news. Well, let me, let me read one more. Let me read one more passage here. First, First Peter 5, 8. Be self-controlled and alert. The, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. So Satan comes along, and Satan tries to trip us up. He attacks the minds of men with doubts, fears, and propaganda. He assails our spirits with lust, pride, and hatred. He assaults the bodies with disease, torture, and death. And he's, he is at work trying to destroy everything that Christ is trying to build. And one commentator says this of Satan. It's a, it's a book that I have at home. And he says this. He's a New Testament scholar, this guy. Uh, not Satan, but this guy that wrote this. <laughs> hey, he might be a New Testament scholar too, but I don't think so. <laughs> he, says he's, he says of Satan, he's subtle as the serpent, serpent, violent as the dragon, ruthless as the lion, deceptive as the angel of light. He is the destroyer, the enemy, the murderer of men's spirits. He is the usurper prince of this world, and his writ runs over it, but he is the worthless one, the evil one, the Antichrist. That's who he is. Well, Christ was rejected by those to whom he was sent. 1 John 1, 10 and 11. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, so he was in the world, he made, he created everything, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So they didn't recognize Jesus when he came. John 7, 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. John 3, 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Okay, so when we become Christians, all our sins are forgiven and we become as though we'd never sinned. But then he, Jesus says this, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So we are delivered from, from condemnation and we are brought into the light through the forgiveness of sin. This is the verdict, light has come into the world, but men love darkness because their deeds were evil. So the reason that people don't come to Christ is that their deeds are evil. They don't want those things exposed. Everyone who does evil hates the light but will not come, and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. So that's what we face as Christians. When people reject Christ, they open themselves up to the influence of Satan. I wish every young person you know, knew this, that when we leave Christ, when we, when we take Christ out of the schools, when we take Christ out of our culture, when we try to have a secular culture, it's not that it, we go to a place of neutrality, we actually under the influence of Satan himself. And those who are walking in darkness, they live in spiritual darkness and they hate the light because their deeds are evil. 
And here's the thing. If many rejected Christ, they're going to reject us. Matthew 24, 9. Um, and this is Jesus' talk, uh, you know, to the disciples about the end times and what's going to happen in the end times. He says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. And I, you know, I, I shudder when I read that. But that's what we're facing. We are going to be hated by all men because of Jesus Christ. And can't you see that happening in our culture today? Um, that people are increasingly saying that Christianity is, is obsolete and it's, it's actually going to harm you. I hear that all the time. At that time, Jesus says, many will turn from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Why? Because that's part of the darkness. That's part of the sinful nature. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Oh, Lord, help us not to go there. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. So, but here's the good news. All right? There's good news in the midst of all this. <laughs> all right? We're leading up to that. Don't leave yet. <laughs> 1 John 5, 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. Wow. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the message I want you to hear this morning. Darkness cannot prevail when there's light. Okay? I mean, when you think about it, how do you get rid of darkness? Yeah, turn around the light. And it doesn't matter how dark that room was or, you know, wherever you're turning on the light. It doesn't matter how dark it was beforehand. All you do is you flip on the light switch and it's instant. You know, it's not like the darkness is hiding somewhere. The, the darkness has to dissipate when we turn on the light. And we as Christians are the light of the world. We have the light within us. And we do not need to fear because the light is stronger than the darkness. The darkness cannot stand up when we, the light, shine the way that Christ wants us to shine. The darkness has to flee. Well, the light can, and there's no way that darkness has more power than light. The only way that darkness can prevail over the light is to extinguish the light. If the light shines, the darkness has no choice but to turn to light. So, obvious application of that. Our culture, the darkness that we see in our culture, cannot prevail if we will just simply turn on the light. And be what Christ has called us to be. To be the light that Christ has called us to be. To have the light of Christ shine out of us to the world that darkness has to flee. We have to be victorious. I'm not making this stuff up. <laughs> it doesn't matter how deep the darkness is, all we have to do is to turn on the light. <clears throat> Christ is more powerful, and Christ has and will defeat all the powers of the world, our sinful nature, and Satan himself. He is a defeated. Satan is not. Um, well, let me read this statement from uh, one commentator. So he says this. 
he cannot prevail, though he can hinder the spread of the gospel. He cannot prevent, though he can hinder the ultimate victory of God. It is possible, then, to overestimate the power of Satan. He is not omniscient, omnipresent, or, or I'm sorry, omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipresent. He is a defeated foe, and we cannot, he cannot ultimately prevail. That's the good news. Isn't that good news? I mean, you know, I mean, this our culture is just, you know, we look at it and we go, man, is there any way that this stuff can be defeated? And the good news is, Jesus has overcome all the powers of the enemy. We do not need to be afraid. We do not need to, to cower and hide. We let our light shine because the darkness cannot comprehend the light. The darkness in our culture cannot stand before the light of Christ. We can have absolute confidence that the works of darkness, the sinful deeds of men, will not prevail if they come face to face with the light. Wow. Okay, I'm not making this up. This is the word of God, okay? Jesus has more power than anything the devil can throw at us. 1 John 4, 4, You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is stronger than anything the devil can throw at us? The only way that darkness can prevail is if we withhold the light, put it under a bushel. That's what Jesus said. So my admonition to all of us, including myself, is that the one who is in you is stronger than anything that the enemy can throw at us. We do not need to be afraid. We do not need to cower. We, do not, we, can, we can let our light shine before men. That's what Jesus said. Let your light shine before men because the devil cannot prevail. Darkness cannot prevail over the light. Praise the Lord. What a great day. We get to celebrate again today. Communion. And this is, this is the same message, really, that Frank gave, but a little different. So, um, you know, we live in a changing world. And, you know, Frank was very clear about that. You know, when, when we grew up, the US was a, a Christian nation. You know, we had values. You know, we were the majority, and not so much, not so much anymore. Um, you know, we're becoming disliked, we're becoming a minority, and, you know, we're criticized because for being one way, you know, we're, we're just very um, single-minded, and we're not accepting just every doctrine, you know. And, and people don't like that. That's, that's not a, a popular thing. Last week, 
Frank mentioned Acts 4.12. And it was Peter that was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he said, salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. And of course, that name is Jesus. And this is what we celebrate today. You know, he's, he took my place, he won the victory, and, and there's just no other way. And so we are self-centered, yeah. And um, when, he, when he died, he promised not to leave us. He promised to leave the Holy Spirit to help us and to guide us. So as we prepare our hearts for communion today, we're going to sing Spirit of the Living God, and that's our prayer before we come and celebrate. So if you'd like to stand, we will sing and prepare your hearts. We'll sing Spirit of the Living God. presence is here with us, Lord. Have your presence fall upon us, Lord, as we come and we receive you, Lord. We receive the bread and we'll eat that immediately, individually. Save the cup and we'll do that as a family, Lord. Sometimes I Let us lift our voice. 
gently singing our hearts in one accord. Oh, let the Spirit overflow as with the earth and from head to toe. We love you, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, and we want this of the world. You can overcome any dark, any amount of darkness. But Lord, you, you, your light is within us. You've placed it there. Let it shine brightly from us. Let us, as we, as we go and are facing those things that are darkness in your, to you, let the light that you've put in us show us the, the right way to go. This we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. 